Welcome back to the Audibles and Analytics podcast, a special Bucks episode edition today. Oh, we've been excited about this one. So very, very big thank you to Bucks fans for being patient with Josh Capo and myself as we got through the tape and the numbers. And we wanted to do this one justice. There's been some some dud Bucks games this year where it's been a little bit harder to get into. I mean, we watched the tape, but it's like, okay, how many times are we going to say the same thing? And there's a tide turning with this team for sure. Uh, in some people's minds, it's really turning. We'll talk about that uh, too on this show. But this was the most impressive game offensively of the season. Defense we're going to do in the second half of the show. We're not going to leave you on a down note because there are some positives even there. Some players, I think, particularly we're excited to talk about. Um, but offensively, this is a team that you and I both said this a couple of weeks ago. So I'm going to give us a pat on the back. Um, I think it was uh, you tweeted out. I know at some point that you expected the Bucks to offense to go on like kind of a heater over the next couple weeks, and that was a couple weeks ago. And you were spot on about that. You even predicted like where they'd be in EPA per play, I think, and you were spot on about that. And then I said on this show and on Twitter, I kind of went compiled some stats, and I was like, a couple weeks ago, I was like, the Bucks offense is better than their defense. Like, I'm not saying the Bucks offense is good, I'm just saying like y'all think the defense is good, and it's just not good, it hasn't been good. Maybe the first couple games of the year, like when they were still healthy and, and not everybody that they played bad competition and turnovers were in their favor. That's a big part of it. Um, but it's not been good. And so that is really proven true over the last couple of weeks. So kudos to us. We're on the ball with that. Uh, we're not going to get everything right. Probably most things, but we did get that right. And the offense is moving in the right direction. Josh Capo, happy birthday to you, by the way. Uh, that is in order. I don't think you've had a birthday since that show. Bucks got you this dub on your birthday. You're just thriving right now, getting right on Twitter. Like it's good. It's good days to be Josh Capo. It it's been a hell of a week. Um, <laughs> watching watching that game, and it was actually on my birthday. That was just to see everything click for the offense. When again, you and I have been talking about they're so close, they're so close, they're so close. And then to finally see it all click, um, I wish I knew what Joe Barry's Twitter handle was because I would have sent him a birthday thank you uh, because that absolutely contributed to the Bucks' offensive output. But it was just really, really fun to see. It was a great day, um, and I appreciate the birthday wishes. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you should send Joe Barry something. All Bucks fans should, honestly, because whatever we say about this offense is going to be have to couched, be couched heavily in Joe Barry. And I don't mean that as a negative toward the Bucks. They just knew exactly what was going to happen. And they, as you texted me, they did what other teams really haven't done this season, which is just completely expose Barry. A couple teams have done it on the ground, like Detroit, just like, oh, you don't know how to line up? Like, cool, we're going to just destroy you in the run game. Like that happened the first meeting between the two teams. So there's been some times, but this was the first time where it was just like vicious. Like you're going to drop in zone defense every single snap, like 82% of snaps, I think, um, was charted. They were in zone defense. Lots of spot dropping. We're just going to relentlessly, you're going to go into cover three spot drop. We're going to go four verts. We're going to attack the seams of this over and over and over again. I mean, how many identical looking throws did Baker have in this game? Like right past the linebacker, right over the linebacker, in front of the safety, down the seam, into the slot. Like it was just like over and over again. And the Packers just no answer. At no point were they like, we're just going to carry this. Like, or we're just going to like, <laughs> no, no, at no point did it happen. It was unbelievable. The defensive incompetence was probably only outdone by the fact that Baker did exactly what we've been talking about him doing all season, Josh. He said he finally let it rip mm -hmm. everything, even though there were some tight window throws that he made. It's like, yeah, you have to get it through this zone on time. And he just did it. He played in the middle of the field. Almost all his production came there. Like 
everything was just so exactly what you wanted to see from him. No idea if it'll be sustainable. I think we're rewriting history a little bit when we act like he's been this guy all season this week. I see some people doing that at national media's. Obviously, they're never going to consider the full context. They're certainly running with that. I don't think he's necessarily even played very well lately, I would say. Um, but this game was absolutely lights out for him. He deserves all the love for this week in particular. Yeah, I there were times when the concept didn't play to the defense and he still made it right. And there was one specific one that just stands out in my mind where he went and he nailed a seam against cover two right in between the pole runner and the safety. And I mean, it was a seed. Did the pole runner run on that one? <laughs> he did. He did run on okay, that one. All right, but, yeah. but the hook, the hooks, uh, he played to the flat. So, I mean, he had a little bit of, of room there, but it was still, it was just a beautiful ball. And he he did everything that he was supposed to do. Everything clicked. The running game was complimentary. Canales was in his bag. I can't wait till we talk about the touchdown to Rashad White. Like, it was just all beautiful. Let's talk about the touchdown to Rashad White. Why not? Might as well start somewhere. Uh, four verts against cover three, I believe, right? Isn't that what uh, – yep. I'm not mixing that up. I, did, I didn't actually write a note on it. I don't think I did anyway. Um yeah, Four words was... against cover three and a vertical out of the backfield with your running back. Like, absolutely sign me the heck up. I love it. And, and they set it up so perfectly because you had Devin Tompkins coming from – he came on an orbit motion and then it turned it into a return motion. And by getting that that width on the return motion and Baker bluffed the screen to him, yeah, it sucked in the – the perimeter corner, it sucked in the slot corner, and it allowed White to get just a simple, easy um, release right up the seam there. And then the the PS de resistance, if you will, was Otten. His vert was kind of a cross. It was a vertical cross. So he ends up getting in the way of the middle linebacker. There's nobody there for White. I mean, and Baker had two options for the touchdown yeah. because – David Moore on the outside, that was an easy touchdown right there. Uh, so it was just, it was absolutely like potentially like the best play call of the year for him, in my opinion. It was great. And what I loved about it was, do you remember a couple of weeks ago when they tried to call that bluff pass to Auten? I believe it was, they where he bluff blocks and he releases down the seam and they tried yep. to get the linebackers out of there. I think it was a play fake. I can't remember all the details exactly with it, but basically linebackers never moved. And so they said, how can we get to the same thing in the same area of the field? One, one our issue was linebackers didn't move. We got to get them out of there. So get the get the uh, the motion uh, to the flat and have the pump in there. Um, before it was, they ran the double fake screen. That's what they did. And the linebackers didn't move on that. Um, you know, whether that would have happened again or not is probably debatable. I think the linebackers probably would move most situations. But uh, so they run this motion instead, and they show something different, trying to get to the same thing. This time the linebackers move. The other thing was Otten got held up at the line of scrimmage. He bluff blocks, but he actually got attacked by the D end, basically, right. on the play. and got push-pulled, like, basically onto his face, basically, off balance. <laughs> so the timing of the play was all ruined. This time it's like, why don't we bring White out of the backfield? That way he's not touched, you know what I mean? So we don't yep. have to worry about that part of it. Now they'll probably go back to the bluff block at some point. Other other people run it and like it doesn't necessarily turn out as poorly as they ran it every time. But it was generally speaking an idea of we know this concept works. We know if we can move linebackers and open up the middle of the field with something in the flat, with something getting them out of their space, where we get them to take a couple steps in the wrong direction, we can attack this area of the field with some deception. Let's figure out how we can go about that in other ways, basically. So it shows the creativity and ingenuity 
of what Canales does bring to the table. And this is why you and I have struggled so much with him because the play sequencing, which we'll talk about, uh, five thoughts, um, uh, has been so bad at times with him and him being so heavy, heavily run on first down has put the team in so many tough down and distance situations that when they've lost games, you can be like, this is one of the biggest reasons. But when they're great on third down and the concepts are good and everybody's getting open and he, you know, he knows how to attack a defense and there's this creativity going and the spacing in his pass game is so good. Like all of these kinds of things are like, okay, when well, when you can do all this stuff at this level, like sometimes you can get away with being in third down all the time. They're not necessarily doing that. We'll talk about that in a second. But it was just, it's still like there's so much layers to the canals evaluation at this point. And this game was like, a great example of what it looks like when it hits, like when it works conceptually, because conceptually the things that he's doing when people were like, we were really better on offense last year. I was like, dude, stop. Like <laughs> Byron Love, which could even dream of doing the things Canals does. Like that's how much of it, like even in the, my, the moments where I've been most furious with Canals, never in my wildest dreams have I thought that maybe Byron Love was better. Like, no, it's just not the case whatsoever. And so that's why I think like this game was good because I think it did show people the positives with Canales, who people went from wanting to fire last week and the weeks before to now wanting to make him governor. Like, I don't really know. He's like, the it's, bell of the ball. I mean, it's pretty hilarious how fast it swings. <laughs> and Bucks fans are good at poking fun at themselves for that, basically. Like, we haven't experienced that much success. So when it's good, we ride it. When it's good, <laughs> when it's bad, we complain better than anybody. So Canales is definitely uh, the bell of the ball this week for sure. We'll see if that continues. And my thoughts on him were generally the same, but this was a really impressive uh, performance by him. I thought it, it was, and you you brought up an interesting stat, which was that the the buck or the Packers were in zone. What was it like eighty two percent of the time? You said eighty two percent. Yep. Yeah. So, but then even when they ran man, Canales was ready. There was a play uh, you and I both separately clipped um, on Twitter. It was the one where you highlighted Mike Evans' route running ability, right? His ability to gain separation. Which that was against two for that, but are you talking about the touchdown? Uh, no, no, no the the one over the middle. Uh, um, oh, okay, mid middle of the field or yep. like midfield. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. that was against cover one, right? That was man, and but it was a great man beater underneath. You had Godwin running um, mesh with Trey Palmer, and then over the top you had from the concept side Evans and Otten running behind them. Um, Digs with Otten from the, the sideline and Evans from the slot and deep digs behind this mesh and the boundary safety tried to sit on Godwin's cross and it left all that room open for Evans to get into. So it's just a really great, you know, man beater concept against a defense that wasn't running man. And they just, they had it dialed up at the right time. So, I mean, that's what, when we say like, Canales was in his bag. It was just like everything was hitting. He knew what was coming, even when Green Bay tried to change things up. What's interesting is you kind of alluded to it from a play sequencing standpoint. A lot of the things that we've been critical of him were still there. I mean, he was running on first down even more than he normally does. But for the first time all year, and this may just be me trying to create a narrative around it, but it felt like the runs were setting up passes um, specifically like he was doing a couple things. He was creating a tendency and then he worked a counter, a play action counter off of those tendencies. There's specifically like a um, uh, inside zone out of pistol play action that they ran um, 
I was I want to say it was in the second quarter. It was on first and ten. They had run on four of the first six da- uh, first downs, and this was the seventh first down. And they had run out of that same pistol look on the two out of the three previous plays, and then they go to they go to this play action and it hits. So for the first time, it just felt like it wasn't spamming first down runs. They were really there to see he had something in mind that he wanted to get to. And those were setting those up and those, the the things that he was trying to set up, they hit. So it was, it was an interesting um, change up. And the other thing that was, you know, Green Bay invited those runs because they were running a lot of five and six man boxes and the Bucks were getting enough out of the run game to get them into those third and shorts. So. Yeah, they committed to it, and they were really good on the third and shorts, and they have been all season, honestly, good on third down. And so that's a big reason why their offense is where they're at. Um, They were 21st amongst all teams this week in rush EPA per play on first down, and they were uh, 24th in success rate, uh, 16% of the time. So it did not work. Um, The runs on first down were decidedly a failure in this game. However, uh, those specific plays, however, what you're speaking of in general, I think there's some truth to that. Now, the, the past game was a totally different story, by the way, on first down in this game. They were seventh amongst all teams this week um, in EPA per drop back. Uh, and so that elevated them to 11th in EPA per play. This is all on first down, by the way. So they were able to accomplish something on first down. And you may be right that conceptually, some of those passes def- or some of those runs definitely were set up, uh, setting up the pass. And I do think that that's true with Canales' offense in general, you could say, but that's probably a deeper conversation for another time. But I am definitely still very concerned, Josh, with the fact that this team has a very archaic approach to first down. When they are converting third downs at a at a unbelievable clip, it looks really good. And we'll get into some more of the good stuff in the nitty gritty from this point. But since you're going this direction with it, this season, the Bucks are 28th in first down success rate on offense, 36.9%. And they're 19th in EPA per play on offense this season. Their rush success rate on first down is 30th in the NFL, and their rush EPA per play is 23rd. Now, the last four games, the last four games have been the, where you're pulling stats from, right? Where you're telling me like the numbers are up for the team, yep. they're good for the team in general. In general, that's true. It's a lot of it's because of third down, because the last four games on first down, their EPA per play, 18th. So 19th on the season, 18th over the last four games. So significantly negative EPA by per play, by the way, <laughs> but good enough for 18th in the NFL over that last four game stretch. Um, success rate, 26th, 37%. Remember, it was 28th for the season, 36.9%. So basically exactly the same. Um, in terms of the success rate percentage. The rush EPA per play, they're 23rd in rush EPA per play, and 24th in rush success rate. That's slightly better. They were 30th in rush success rate for the season. So their success rate's been a little bit better, still very bad. Um, So they are still consistently lighting first down on fire as an offense like that. There's like no denying it. Like first down is an abject failure for this offense. However, Second and third down have trended in completely the other direction, although they've been good on third down all season. Second down has been much better for them. And so just in general, like they're finding, they're just operating their offense better, but the philosophy behind how they treat play sequencing and down and distance hasn't really changed this year. So I'm excited about this performance. I think there are some things they're just doing better on offense, like executing, 
They're figuring out what player strengths and weaknesses are. They've figured out how to use Rashad White, which has opened up a whole other level of their offense. Um, they're getting Godwin involved in certain ways, I think, has been good. We'll talk about Godwin in this game and why it was kind of like the perfect game for him. I think the players are playing better on offense as the season's gone on cleaner. They're developing. All of those things, I think, are, are generally speaking true. There's a couple of players I have quibbles with. But in general, this team is still very reliant on third down to have success as an offense, and that's – that's happening. They're eighth in APA, APA per play on third down this season. They're 12th in success rate, seventh in dropback EPA per play. They're even pretty decent. They're a little bit above league average in rushing EPA uh, on third down this season. And so th- th- they're experiencing success on third down, not like unbelievably so. They're what a seven and what are they? Seven and seven uh, football seven team. Seven. Yep. <laughs> so like th- we're talking about is what it is, but like they are in those numbers, by the way, over the last four games, I looked to see if there was any big difference between them on third down in the season. And then the last four games, there really is not. They are pretty much, they have been pretty consistently good on third down this season. Not amazing, but good. And obviously there's been some games that have been a disaster and those are the games that they lose. And we wonder how Canales got this job in the first place. So they're really reliant on third down. I guess you have to kind of decide how you feel about that to, to determine how you feel about Canales in general right now. Right. And philosophically, I still take issue with it. And and I guess the best way I can explain it, unless you're in third and one, you're going to pass, right? I want to say like the, the pass rate on third and three or more is somewhere north of 85%. I haven't looked it up. Don't tell Ben Johnson this, but I'm pretty sure of it. The guy runs on third and eight, like twice. He does. He very much does. So he's the outlier. But if you look at the league as a whole, you know, if it's third and three or more, you're you're going to pass like 80 some odd percent of the time. Yeah. And the Bucks are playing for third and three, right? Third and two to four. And so they're playing to pass on third down where the defense knows a pass is coming. The offense knows they're going to pass. And you're putting the ball in Baker Mayfield's hands and you're saying, I trust him to win this down. And it's worked this year. I guess my question is, why not do that on a down where people where the defense doesn't absolutely know you're going to pass? Mm-hmm. And you have outs if it doesn't work. Because if it doesn't work on third down, that's it. You're punting, especially with Todd Bowles as your head coach, right? Hey, don't not this week, baby. Fourth and two. <laughs> He's getting better on that. I've commented on that one too. But um, but if you do it on first down and it does not work. You've still got two more downs to get right, um, yeah. and they just won't do it. And, and it seems like they really want to be on, and I won't say like what an analytics would say on schedule offense, but they just really do not want to take a negative play on first down. And they have the running back for it. Rashad White's one of the best running backs in the league at not taking negative yardage on runs. I want to say he's like, he may be first on it. I saw it somewhere uh, just a couple of days ago. So they just absolutely want to make sure that they are moving forward on first down for as little yardage as it may be. But to them, that is success. They're headed literally in the right direction, and they're going to make it right on third down. Um, it it absolutely worked out against Green Bay. If they are trending to the playoffs, I don't know if that would be able to sustain against some of the defenses they'll face in Correct. the playoffs. <laughs> And and that's where I think the 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 ceiling comes in for this offense is with that philosophy. You come mm-hmm. up against a non-Joe Barry defense with good players, and uh, and that those results are going to change a good bit. 
and this is where I get to with Canales. It's like I am, I'm, I'm like I've said really positive things about him all season, but I do think Bucks fans need to be careful a little bit. Like we went from fired everybody, <laughs> which may be overreaction, like to like like this week has been hilarious. Like looking around, like obviously national media jump in on it, and I get it. Baker had a great game. Like it looks, it looks great this week. I just think that everybody would benefit. I'm not trying to be that guy. I think everyone would benefit from slowing down and enjoying what this week has been and what some of the recent offensive success, like it's looked better for sure at times. Like, again, there are really good things to like about Canales, no doubt. Baker has done some things really well. I think the marriage has been good. If you're rushing to tether yourself to Baker Mayfield long-term, like you need to think about where the ceiling of that approach is. Like this is the best football Baker Mayfield has played maybe in his career. I mean, certainly going back to that one year in Cincinnati and not Cleveland. Yep. 2020 was seven and seven and they are, you know, there's been other issues. I'm not saying like it's him. This is seven and seven, but he has had a hand in a lot of those losses. Like he's not necessarily played very well. And even in some of the wins, he hasn't really played very well. Was it his worst game of the year a couple of weeks ago? Like, so I, I just, I think that everyone should just like enjoy this for what it is. And let's just evaluate over the next three weeks. If Baker's lights out and canals lights out and they're, you know, I know the competition isn't like amazing, but if they beat Jacksonville and Carolina's defense is playing well right now, I've record aside and, you know, the saints is always a battle. And so if they win those three games and the offense is consistent and Baker looks great and they get into the playoffs and, you know, they give Philly a fight or something like that. Okay. Like then we've got something to go off of. And, and perhaps this is, you know, something worth, what's the price tag? What's what options does it take off the table for us? We're not in position to draft a quarterback now. So how does that change the game plan? That obviously is a part of it. And so, yeah, we are dangerously teetering on like committing to Mm -hmm. what, the ceiling of mediocrity long-term if we're talking about Baker Bulls. And I'm not, I, I actually don't put Canales in that categorization because the sample size on him is too small and he has so much room to grow. Right. I don't know that committing to him would be committing to mediocrity. He could be the saving grace and all of it. If he eventually figures out how to sequence plays appropriately and not to be the third heaviest uh, run team on first and 10 in the league this season. Like that is, that kind of stuff is unacceptable and you won't have the same third down assist rate like long term if you commit to that that kind of approach offensively so he's got to learn but there's upside there i just don't not sure that there is with baker mayfield i'm not sure i know there isn't with todd bulls so i would just be very cautious like i know bucks fans and the team isn't but i all this talk this week oh baby bulls is just staying i'm like where did all the thoughts that you had before go because uh the defense sucks and that's still a major issue and you know nobody's given up big more explosive fast plays than this team and i don't know like i just think people are forgetting real quick josh i'm not trying to be a spoiler this week i have plenty of great things to say i just think people are getting a little out over their skis two things number one i think the big narrative around it is it's a three day three game winning streak right and, and that's why everybody's like, well, Bowles first, is back, baby. What was the first game of the winning streak, John? It, well, uh, so it was Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> what was the score of that game? It was like 20 to 17. What was the and general then, what was the general premise after that game? We need to fire everybody. Right, right. It was a very FML mood. And then and then it, the second game wasn't that much better because it was against the Falcons and Arthur Smith. <laughs> Hates his own team, his own players, his Last first round second win over a team that the Panthers just beat. Go ahead. I'm just saying. I'm not trying to right. be that guy. I promise. I, I'm just, I, I'm setting it up. Now, the second thing that I'm going to take issue with is you're sitting there saying they're the third worst team at passing on first down. 
And it's just uh, all in. What's that? Third most frequent run, I think. Right, right, right. Third most frequent time. It's all about the context. You could say it that way, or you could say they pass the second most in the NFC South. Both of those statements are true. That's true. That's true. For, for people who haven't seen that graph, the, the 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 four NFC South teams are all the lowest four teams in the NFL in neutral situation game situation pass rate on first and ten this season. According to a graphic that was put up, was that Ben Baldwin? I forget. Who it was that. Ben Baldwin. Yeah. These are the four <laughs> heaviest run teams on first and ten in neutral situations. In the NFL today, which explains a lot about why it's maybe one of the worst divisions of football and all four head coaches may get fired. Um, but yes. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. I just had to set that one. <laughs> no, that's you are very, very correct in that. So I don't want to get too caught up in the big picture stuff because I really want to focus on this game because the tape was so fun and a lot of what happened in this game was just awesome to get into. But I do feel like I'd be doing it a service if I wasn't like addressing that part of every box fans. Like I understand the excitement. I understand the optimism. It's great. I don't think re-signing Baker should be off the table. I, I do I don't want Bulls back. Like I I would not want that back if I was a Bucks fan. What that means for Canales complicates things obviously, but you can't keep Bulls to keep Canales. Like we've been down this road before and it's hard to keep Canales if you have a new guy coming in who wants to run offense or you know you have to force that marriage between a new head coach and a offensive coordinator like that sometimes doesn't work either. So it would be complicated, but I'd be willing to explore those options. Like I'm not against keeping Canales What the, but I just as long as it isn't like a big long term commitment, because I just think there's clear ceiling, and eventually you're going to get to the point where you Baker Mayfield like that's just going to happen. I feel very confident in that eventually. It doesn't mean right now or the guy's there, like you could you could develop that guy, but there has to be like some sort of a plan in place there because there's just not a Super Bowl ceiling with Baker Mayfield, and that's what this organization wants to be like. Jason Light wants that to be the focus of this team, there's no doubt. So they've got to find a way to get back to that ceiling, however. I don't know. Do you have anything more you want to say on that before we jump back into this game specifically? Uh, no, I, I, I guess just big picture. I would say that Canales is getting them. I won't say the most out of Baker. He's getting a lot more out of Baker. Yeah. There are appreciable improvements in Baker's game, specifically the intermediate part of the field, mm-hmm. which I know that you and, and Ali Colinelli have kind of talked about. That's where the best quarterbacks in the league kind of make their living mm-hmm. is by separating themselves in that area. And while I, he's not at that level, He's made considerable improvements from that 10 to 19 yard um, area. And I think that that should be noted. And and that is where a lot of this is coming from. And it's helped offset the complete outside of this game because he was like two for two. But other than that, this season, the complete drop off in his deep ball game. Um, So I think credit to both Baker and Canales in improving him in that part of the field. For sure. No doubt if you're keeping Baker around, then it does become more attractive to keep Canales, but it's difficult to justify. And now if they win the division again and they go, you know, they win out and they go 10 and seven and they win a playoff game, even then obviously Bowles is going to stay. Like, I, right. I think there's no doubt about that. Um, even if they went out in the regular season and they put up a good fight in a playoff game, I feel like they're, you know, there's probably yep. probably going to stay. Do I agree with it? No, but I understand like that's how the things work in the NFL. Like you don't fire coaches when they have success with a team that's technically was in like a rebooting stage um, this year. Like that, you know, well, how bad the division is or how how you got to the wins doesn't matter. Like it, you know, that that part matters. 
Um, the defense being a mess is something we will definitely talk about, but there are positives there more on a player level than anything else, I think. Uh, how was Chris Godwin open all game in this game, Josh? Uh, I want to talk about that just conceptually. Like people are like, oh, he hasn't been that involved uh, this season. Like there's, you know, what kind of a role in this offense is, are they able to fi- find ways to use him? They obviously went out and tried to force feed him against Atlanta. That was kind of a little overzealous. I felt like maybe at times he didn't play very well, frankly, in that game. This game, 12 targets, the next closest in the team was Mike Evans' six, 10 receptions, 155 yards. He didn't score in this one, but it really, I mean, his longest catch in the game was 25 yards. So, like, it was, I mean, he was consistently just ripping off chunk plays um, in this game down the seams and everything. What did you like about what they did against that Packers zone-heavy uh, defense? Yeah, I, I would say something, and it's kind of been trending the last four or five weeks is you are seeing that his his percentage of snaps from the slot is going up um for the year coming in I want to say up through like week 11 he was kind of in that 30 to 35 percent range and over the last four to five weeks it's risen to like 40 to 45 50 percent so they're getting him in the slot which is where he was very successful under the Arians left which offense getting him into the middle part of the field running underneath a lot of vertical routes where it's opening things up for him. Um, there were a couple of screen passes. Uh, you know, They did manufacture a couple touches for him this, this week, and those hit, I want to say there was a perimeter screen to him where he was able to get upfield, and he looked like he had actually a little bit more burst on, on that particular play for, I don't know, it was like 16 yards or something like that. So those were a couple of the things that I noticed. Um, you know, they were just opening up a ton of things by because the Packers run this too high scheme where they're just so afraid of being beat over the top. It just it allowed Godwin to eat on the that intermediate part of the field that we were kind of just talking about with Baker. Yeah, you're right about the slot snaps. Those have gone up a little bit, still under 50% for him. I think they're finding that sweet spot last year, for example, last two years, let's just give for people, for example, 2021, 70% of his snaps were in the slot. 2022, 73% of his snaps were in the slot. This year, 36% of his snaps have been in the slot. So even at 43%, you know, which he was this past game, we're talking about way different profile than last year. Like In general, I think just what they're doing with them moving him around all season has been really good. However, they have not really, despite the fact that I think he's, they need to take more shots. Like I think Chris Godwin should get, he's one of, to me, one of the best contested catch receivers in the NFL. I think he should get two back shoulder throws every single game, basically, especially if you face man coverage. Like I want to see him get two back shoulder throws every single game on the outside. Like that hasn't really been a big part of what they've done. To me, that is another level they can do. If you want to get Chris Godwin involved, there's no better way than ask him to post people up. Other than this in the slot, if you're playing zone heavy defenses, it's basically Chris Godwin's time to eat. And if you're not using him that way, you're probably not being as successful as you can be, especially when it's this spot drop look, because all Chris Godwin's going to do is just come off the line of scrimmage, look for where the opening is and the space is. Are you playing cover two, cover three, cover four? Okay, there's the space. I'm going to sit down in it. Oh, I could, this linebacker's not getting depth, which happened all the time for Green Bay in this game. <laughs> Linebackers just felt like sitting five yards from the line of scrimmage, like they just were terrified of Rashad White coming to the backfield or something. He was like, cool, I'll take my route like a little bit deeper, and now the window's there for you, and you can throw it. Like, he's just a, he's a genius of a wide receiver. So when you combine the intelligence with the hands and the fact that he doesn't care about getting hit over the middle of the field at all, like it's just like kind of like if you're going to play this type of defense, it's literally just his game to feast. So in no way, shape or form was I surprised that he had a big game. 
in no way, shape, or form was I surprised that they continue to attack over and over again, even with really similar plays. Now, I saw someone commenting, and I think it's true to a degree. Like they just kept getting him. You know, I was a Packers analyst, and like they just kept getting Chris Godwin on a linebacker and making it work. Well, kind of. I mean, the Packers didn't play any man covered, so it wasn't really Chris Godwin against the linebacker. He just happened to, oh, there's where the linebacker's standing. I'm just going to run around him to a space behind him where he can't see me. And there we go. And I've got a catch. And so it's like, yeah, it wasn't really like a matchup. It was more just like, yeah, this isn't going to work against Chris Godwin unless you're just killing us up front, which, you know, is a, is a conversation we'll have later in the show, too. And they just, Baker was just on it. Like, that's the other thing. Baker was also just ripping the throws as soon as they came open. He was, Caring a lot less about, I don't know if I can get, what if it gets deflected? What if they, like that's held him back? I think at times this season and this seat, this game, he really just let it rip and maybe mistakes will come with that in other games or a number of these balls were close to being batted down, but he's got a cannon and he has to play like it. Like he is not some of these dink and dunk backup guys around the league. Like that. This is the only way they know how to live. Like is you design an offense to just kind of get through a couple games with a guy like that. That isn't what Baker is. If you're going to use him to his full potential, you have to ask him to rip the ball into windows. And he just did it all game. Like he just had no hesitation all game other than the strip sack um, play. But other than that, it was just like, there it is, rip it. There it is, rip it. And it was just like the timing of everything he did was perfect. And he just trusted I've got a cannon. I can fit it there. And every time it worked. Yeah, I, it was it was all or nothing. I, I'd say more than just the strip sack. I would say he was sacked like four or five times, and I wanna, sacked, yeah, three times I think. Yeah, and, and more than one was I would say on him, but the concept didn't necessarily work, and he was trying to find something. Yeah. And just held on. I mean, Hainsy, Hainsy got racked on one. Like I, I kind of <laughs> tweeted like I was like, Baker should probably just throw that ball away because he could see the pressure. And then I watched it all twenty two. I was like. That's kind of hard. Like, yeah, <laughs> just he just protected the football and yeah, didn't want to take a rib shot. But yeah, yeah. So, but um, but yeah, I mean, outside of those few sacks, and, and like I said, I, I'd credit a couple of them on him. Um, it, everything you just said, you know, in terms of they were the Packers did not make very much difficult for Baker on the back end at all, and that is where Chris Godwin is going to work his magic is mm-hmm. over the middle when things are simple. It's a simple read for the receiver. It's a simple read for the quarterback. They were on the same page and it worked magically. I also just like how much the Bucks spread the field. Like nothing ever feels stuffy in this offense really for the most part. And I, I thought always with left, which it just felt so stuffy. There was no spacing. Godwin was always so close to the line of scrimmage. Like the wide receiver splits were always so close to the line of scrimmage. There was just so much of that. And there's just so much less of that now um, with this offense. Like it's so much get Godwin out of there, get him out wide, get you know, get out like Evans out wide, get everybody out wide, go four wide, spread the field, go empty a couple times in this game. Some of their big plays run empty. Just go empty and let Baker pick his option, especially against zone. Who who has got the grass? You know, where Baker's first read is, who's got the grass and and just let him go to work. Like I think like that really like all that kind of stuff is just such an improvement from last year where it just felt everything felt so stuffy all the time and there was such little space and they didn't use so much of the field and Baker just like with his arm and everything it's just been a really uh positive big positive to see that some people did ask us like hey can you talk about the whole you put to sleep the whole like Baker's playing better than Tom Brady did last oh year oh my gosh narrative. like <laughs> the, the, just anybody who knows football just like if you compare this offense to last year's offense, especially given the fact that three years in a row, like they were running the same stuff. And so people knew what was coming with Brady uh, that final year. Um, You know, it just is night and day. There isn't any comparison. Look at Mike Evans 
to be a different human being. <laughs> like mm-hmm. He's free. Like Chris Godwin, we talked about his usage and yeah, it's just a totally different story. Plus health. I mean, that's the other thing. Like Godwin hasn't really been healthy this year. He's been pretty, I know he's at the neck he's thing, been- but it hasn't really kept him out. He's not missed any games, right? No, he hasn't missed any games. Like um, games. So that's a huge part of it too. They, he didn't have healthy players at wide receiver. I mean, there were so many games Brady was going into with nobody at wide receiver. Mike Evans was barely hanging on and no other options and playoffs games where that was Tyler Johnson's out there. And like, who was it? The, who the, uh, John Brown. Remember when they saw he was like the wide receiver three. Oh my gosh. I do. Anyway, like it's just, uh, Cyril Grayson, Bucks yeah. hero, folk hero, Brooke yeah, Brashard, the ghost of Brashard Perryman. Um, yeah. Godwin, like to, to kind of illustrate exactly what you're talking about there. Is a dot last year? Do you or average depth of target? Do you remember what it was? Yeah, I, it was embarrassing. I remember that. It, it was embarrassing. It was five point seven. <laughs> there are some running backs who have deeper route combos than he did. That's, last a, that's year. some Rasheed Rice stuff right there. <laughs> oh gosh, this year it's almost double. It's ten point four. Yeah. Yeah. And even Evans, where Leftwich used Evans as a deep, you know, that, yeah. that was kind of all he did was run go post. Corner. Um, his average at the target, you know, kind of the last three years in the Arians or in the left witch offense was 14.1, 13.1, 14.1. Canalis is getting Evans involved more towards this line of scrimmage, and somehow his average depth of target is still better at 15.1. So I think he's optimizing both receivers at this point in the offense which is for sure, no doubt. really, really awesome to see. Yeah. And it's and funny because Kate Otten, I would say as well. And Kate Otten, absolutely. It's funny because a lot of people would have said, oh, this Bruce Aaron's offense, it's so vertical, it's so vertical. I mean, yeah, 989, 15 times a game. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it goes in the outside, poses in the middle of the field. Okay, like, sick. Guess what? Everybody's seen that. And like, now you're running it for the third straight year, like in the same situations, like, well, come on. Like there's way more ways to get vertical as Canales is showing. And so it's funny because people would be like, oh, that offense was so vertical, blah, blah, blah. This offense is extremely vertical, but it's vertical in a totally diverse way. And it's not vertical at the, at the sacrifice of other aspects of offense. Like right. they still attack you horizontally. The Bruce Aaron's offense was so linear, learned to be a little more horizontal under Brady but like just didn't have enough variety of concept. Like there was just so many concepts that were called so many different times a game. It was like, I cannot believe they're calling this play again. Like I've seen this so many times with canals, you see different stuff all the time. And so it's just way more encouraging, but he's still finding ways. He's constantly attacking vertically looking for big plays. And I think it's just, I think if Baker can ever hit more of those or any quarterback can, like it has potential to be really dangerous. Yeah. Canales talks about it a lot in his press conferences and, and, um, and I do recommend anybody who's interested in in this team go listen to uh dave canales in his press conferences because it's not canned answers like he's thoughtful he will give actual thought and analysis to why he does what he does and one of the things that he constantly comes back to and and it's something that i very much appreciate is, is he says football is a game of leverage and you can see that in how he designs his offense is he's trying to Find out where is the defense out leveraged. Let's attack that. And a lot of times <clears throat> there's got to, there has to be a horizontal element to that because that's where a lot of your leverage comes from. Um, and then how do we exploit that along a vertical plane as well? And over the past you know, 
you and I kind of saw elements of it throughout the year, and now it's really starting to tie together, which is very cool to see. Definitely uh, been a, a neat evolution for sure, and I've loved how aggressive they've been on offense and how much they hunt plays down the field and how discontent they are. It's it. That's the funny thing about it is that he calls plays. That's what I think makes it so frustrating. Right? He calls plays in terms of sequencing like he is trying to get 10 yards, basically like, oh, let's run, run, and now how are we get set up a third down situation? But the concepts themselves are actually aggressive. So it's like if he could just get the play calling and the sequencing to match up with the concepts and the design of his offense, like this unit could be really explosive. Obviously, a lot of that is going to depend on the consistency of quarterback play. But in theory, the unit could be like really, really explosive. And I think yep. they've – they found ways to create big plays without getting 20 plus air yard pass plays this season. That's been probably one of the big standout things to me in this offense is that they've actually created a decent amount of chunk plays, even though Baker hasn't hit a lot of the, what we would consider quote unquote deep balls or what PFF considers quote unquote deep balls. And so yeah. that is a definitely a, a credit to canals for sure. Yeah. I think the best way I can kind of put a bow on it in terms of comparing this year's offense to last year's. Last year, Tom Brady among qualified passers, and I used a filter of like 50% of the number one quarterbacks dropbacks. So it's like 420 or so dropbacks to qualify. Tom Brady was 18th in average depth of target at 7.3. If you had to guess, because I like putting you in guessing games, where do you think Baker Mayfield ranks this year? And what do you think that A dot is? What was Brady's? Brady was 18th at 7.3. I bet Baker is in the top 10. I have no idea what the number is. He's second. He's second. 9.3. The only quarterback with a higher average depth of target, CJ Stroud. Yeah. Which is, that's all. Like, man, it'd be cool to cover CJ Stroud and what he's doing this year. Gosh. Well, that's they have the most explode. They have the most twenty plus air pass plays in the league, I believe. Yep. So the Bucks and, and even through Mayfield struggles to connect with his receivers deep, it has not dissuaded them from pushing the ball down the field. And what I thought was really interesting, I know you told me you were going to throw some really cool stats my way to this podcast, so I felt like I had to respond in kind. <laughs> is Mayfield's average depth of target within each level. So the way like a lot of mm-hmm. people qualify. Um, zero to 10, 10 to 20. Yeah, zero, the buckets, zero to 10, 10, which is short, 10 to 20, which is, or 10 to 19, which is intermediate. And then 20 plus is deep. Within each of those buckets, Mayfield is at the highest depth of target for those buckets of his career. So within each kind of like, this is the concept we want to hit short. This is the concept we want to hit intermediate. This is the concept we want to hit deep. Canales is pushing him further than any other OC he's had within each of those buckets to get the most out of him. And that's really, really cool to see, uh, again, to your point, kind of over the evolution of this year. Baker is 15 of 61 on 20 plus air yard throws this season. Adjusted completion percentage of 26.2%. Definitely went up. (laughs) What's that? It it went up against Green Bay because he was two for two on those. It went up, right? (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah, but but here's the thing. 
they are currently amongst quarterbacks, if I could set the filter correctly, he, I think, is 13.1% of his throws. Or att- his attempts are twenty plus air yards or 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 twenty plus air yard throws. That would be eighth in the NFL this season with the filter on the, that I've put on it here, which includes twenty five quarterbacks. Uh, basically, that that would be eighth in the NFL this season. And even the the marks ahead of him are like incrementally ahead of him. Like he's basically in that conversation, I'd say, with anybody in the league in terms of throwing the deep ball, except for Will Levis this season. It's just that, that dude thing. is ripping it. <laughs> that thing absolutely rip right now. Um, but yeah, so I so they are basically throwing it vertically as much as any, I mean, pretty close to as much as anybody in the league. And he's got to find a way to hit those plays. It's it's in there, like he's, it's an accuracy thing, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, I think to a degree, timing and perhaps more time with the receivers. That probably is the number one thing that Josh had say. I want to see how what happens over the next couple of weeks of the season. If they're able to just continue to to get splash plays, if they're able to build on this. And they're able to be like a three explosives a game type of team, you know, oh, yeah. in terms of 20 plus air yard throws. To me, that's like, all right, like if you can be that kind of team, like already we've seen the potential. Guys are open there. Like there's no doubt. Like in this game, you mentioned the throw to White, which wasn't 20 plus air yards for the touchdown, but you could have thrown 20 plus air yards to David Moore and he was oh, yeah. wide open. Just dropped it right in the bucket. Yeah. And, and it's not just the deep stuff. Like he's top 10 in percent of dropbacks where he's targeting the intermediate. So it's not just like check down or bomb. Like they are pushing in a very organic way. They are pushing the offense vertically um, while not being linear, which I think is a great way that you describe it. So it's, it's, it's just so cool to watch. It's refreshing yeah. from last year's offense. That's for sure. <laughs> oh man, it's night and day. This podcast is gonna be very long because I have a couple more things I want to talk about, even on <laughs> offense. Some bad footing for the offensive line in this game. Noticed it a lot on all twenty-two. Middle of the field at Lambo is just gross. Um, Hainsey kind of fell over on a play on his butt, a run play early in the game. I didn't think anybody did it. He just like lost his footing. There's several plays where Cody Malk was like sliding. Tristan Wirfs was sliding. Like, Malk. Like, had one where he slipped initially and still somehow yeah. was able to let his or to move his guy like just push him beyond Baker like just completely mm-hmm. fell down but did not give up on the rep and just can like pushed him to the I guess the left side of the line it was it was so cool to watch I was like this guy just will not quit I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt you, but it was no, that's so- a good point. I mean, there were a couple of times where he, he, I thought he played a wonderful football game. Um, I know pass protection wise, he had the highest grade on the group uh, for PFF. He had a couple losses in the run game that were pretty like egregious. I would say pretty much everybody yep. on the team did, to be honest, uh, other than Worfs really, but everybody else pretty much had a, it was not a great until the end of the game. The last couple drives again, by the way, it wasn't a great run blocking game. I felt like, like they really had their issues. White made some things happen, but it was, I mean, they didn't run the ball very well until the end of the game. Like, you know, when they got a light box or somebody was out of a gap, they kind of, but it wasn't like they were creating things in the running until the end. And there were some really impressive blocks at the end, but yeah, I thought Malk and pass protection Man, it was surprising. The protections they called, they were like moving Hainsey away from him and just saying, Malk, you're with Kenny Clark one-on-one. And I really felt like he held his own. Like I I really was impressed because Malk's biggest struggle is just his strength right now. He just isn't where he needs to be strength-wise and his hand placement. I would say those are the two biggest things that have to get better if he's going to realize his potential. But as an athlete, 
he is just remarkable. Like he can do things in space and like the amount of space he can protect in just because of the things you're talking about, like his recovery and his quickness, there's a play where they ran a twist and um, he steps down, like he's sliding left and he steps down and passes off a deep tackle and they bring the end. I think it's, I forget what the name of this stunt is called. They bring the end from the side he's sliding toward all the way across to come try and come on his outside, show his other shoulder. And he is able to step down with the D tackle and push him down. And he redirects and gets Preston Smith and he pushes him wide. So Mayfield has enough space to make it throw. And it was just like an incredibly athletic play to get a piece of Preston Smith at that point. Um, so he has some plays like that. that you're just like, there is so much potential here. Some things need to get better and clean up, but I really was impressed with him. Gedeke's the one that continues to, you know, I mentioned this last week in the podcast. He's not played as well over the second half of the season. Some warts have definitely been exposed a bit. He has a lot of tough matchups. That's the reality of playing right tackle. Another reason why I would not have probably moved Tristan Orps. I know this year they may not have had a choice, but I think the matchups are just way harder at right tackle. And frankly, he was better at right tackle than he's been at left. He's still been really good at left, but he was better at right. Um, and so anyway, I think the whole the better player should play left tackle. That's more valuable is, is overrated. Some coaches disagree with me. Some don't care anymore. And um, I've talked to plenty of people with different opinions on it. I just don't think it matters, but regardless of that, I don't think get a key. What I liked about this game was he got beat several times early on Sean Gary, a couple times and Igbari, although Baker held the ball too long, did beat him pretty badly for the sack. Um, the, the strip sack down by the goal. And that was a pretty ugly play. There was a couple times in the run game. He just got completely, like he just got, it was a whiff, complete whiff. Like he was yeah. like on his face. There were some really ugly reps. The first half of the game for Gedeke was probably was reminiscent of last year. I'd say is how bad it was. However, the second half of the game, he played much better. He battled back. He got it together. He had some key blocks at the end of the game in the run game. Um, so impressed with the continued growth. I'm not positive if he's your long-term starter or not, but I'm positive that, Next year, I think you'll have he'll be in consideration for that and you'll continue to evaluate him. Like, still great progress this year, rookie contract. Like, this should still be the guy that you continue to try and find out who he is. Now, uh, because he's definitely found a home at this position. The question now is, are you good enough to be paid as a long term starter at this spot? That's what they'll have to keep, keep figuring out. Yeah. I think, you know, from a roster building standpoint, you're not going to have like a top 10 guy at every position. I think that on a rookie contract, Luke Gedeke is a fantastic find for a right tackle and just one that you're going to have to be aware of. And it's pretty easy to spot when he's going to have a tough game because he excels against speed rushers who try to win the edge because he just he utilizes his play strength and he, he just gets his hands on them. He's also athletic enough to get to his spot fast enough where then he can incorporate his play strengths and he'll win those matchups nine times out of 10. It's when he goes up against guys who can really utilize power as a part of their game where they can match his strength, uh, his play strength that he's going to struggle. You saw it, you know, Rashawn Gary is, he can convert speed to power like nobody's business. He struggled with plays. Yep. He got push pull guys got into his pads, push pull, then work around his outside hip, but they can't just bend the corner on him. But yeah, they'll they'll push pull him to win outside or they'll go through him. Exactly. And Calais Campbell earlier in the year. And I want to say there was another one that I can't um was it Detroit? Detroit has a uh East Kaminsky, Atlantic. Yeah, John yeah, Kaminsky it, was yeah. gave him more issues than Aiden Hutchinson in that game. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And and so 
But from a game planning standpoint, as an offensive coordinator, you can go into those and say, okay, this is going to be a really tough match for Geneke. And you can plan to give him a little extra help. You know, if that happens four to six times a year and the other, you know, 13 or whatever the number is, 11 to 13 times a year, you can just say he's going to be pretty solid on an island over there. And then you've got Werfs on the other side. I can I can work with a roster like that. Like I can I can get with that. So I think that, you know, at least for the rest of this year and the next two years, while he's on his rookie contract, you feel good about tackle on the Bucks roster. And you can plan for other parts of the roster and, and to build those. Um, to your point, you know, I think that he will be a guy who's never going to get like a top 10 contract, but I do think that he could be a solid starting right, right tackle in the NFL for years to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what direction he moves in. I'm certainly still super intrigued by him. I do think we got just to be, you know, we, he definitely has not played as well the second half of the season as the first half, in my opinion. However, it's tough. A lot of tough matchups. You know, there's no, like, there's no, he's had tougher matchups than Tristan Wirfs has each week. And that's one of the reasons why it's like, man, wouldn't you want your better play? <laughs> but he's anyways. got, I think he's got Trayvon Walker next week with Jacksonville because I don't think Jacksonville moves their outside no. linebackers a lot. Josh yeah. Allen plays against yeah. left tackles mostly, and he'll have the former number one overall pick. Yeah. Wirfs will have the much tougher matchup. And yeah. the, if there's been issue Wirfs has had, it's those. Guys taking corner, like the Ebucoms, like those those speed rushers at left tackle. At right tackle, that wasn't an issue for him. At, at left tackle, it has been. Like, And maybe the injury is part of that. I don't know. But um, the other guys I want to mention, uh, yeah, Hainsey wasn't not his best game for sure. He battles. Um, but the other guys I actually wanted to mention were not on the offensive line. Um, David Moore played really well. Like mm-hmm. uh, the, the absolute boneheaded play aside, like the fact that he almost fumbled that ball going to the end zone was just unbelievable. But – he played really well. Like he was open consistently. He made a great play on that corner route, kind of settling down so Baker could get that ball to him and cover to his first catch of the game. I think he was open all the time. The run after catch, like he made three people miss, like on that yep. run after catch. Like that's, I mean, he had the only three missed force tackles, I think, of the whole Bucks receiving core. Like Godwin, all those catches, he didn't, didn't force one missed tackle, which goes to what we're saying about him after the catch, just not, not the same guy at all anymore. I think, God, I think the world of Godwin's ball skills and route running and mental part of his game, contested catch ability, the yak stuff is just gone. Like he's just not that guy anymore. Like as a yak guy, like I know you said the burst on the screen, but that was pretty beautifully blocked. Like he has vision, but that was nobody was touching him on that play unless he screwed yeah. up. Yeah, and and there were a couple plays with Godwin. And I'll get back to more because I got a little point on that one. Um, there were a couple plays where it just like he gets the ball, he knows that there's a guy coming down, he's got his back to him, and he just completely freezes up, like curls into the ball, the one ball protection. Yeah. yeah, the one where he should have gone out of bounds, and then there, been. yeah, there there was another one where like he basically gives himself up, and then nobody tackles him, and so. He he like realizes that after a second, and so he just starts walking backwards. Like there's something there. Like just I I know like you had said earlier, like he goes over the middle and he doesn't care that he's gonna get hit. I it's weird because before the catch, it's like he's focused so much on making the catch, he doesn't care that he's gonna get hit. As soon as he gets the ball, it's all he thinks about it from mm-hmm. from what I watch, um, which is really kind of a strange dichotomy. Um, as far as more. I, I got to walk, I got to go to Bucks training camp for a couple practices. He popped there. Um, he had a good preseason. I fully believed they were going to roster him 
you know, um, coming yeah. out of training camp. I was surprised they didn't. I wasn't surprised that he made it to their practice squad because um, he's that kind of guy that most teams can just pick up off the street. And uh, he's a great depth player for this offense. And um, I'm glad that they were able to get him on the roster now. And I think that he can be a big boon for them down the stretch here. I actually agree. I am kind of pretty excited to see him as the new fourth guy and I, you know, or whatever they decide. Uh, I've liked Palmer all season. I think he probably has had his uh, production hurt a little bit by Baker, as I mentioned before, but I think that they've got kind of a pretty good group right now, the way these guys are playing. And so um, good to see Godwin get, get back into this thing. And like to be reminded of some of the positives that he brings to the table, I think like definitely a positive player, you you wonder about cost efficiency and all that, but we talked about that in the last pod. And so he's going to be a buck. It looks like for the, uh, for this uh, rest of the season and obviously in the next season as well. So we'll cross that bridge if we need to down the road. Um, so yeah, I was impressed with those guys. Otten I think continues to just develop into more of a vertical threat as, as the position. Like it's never going to be a burner, but you don't really, that's something I've really learned with tight end evaluation. You don't need speed to be um, a guy that wins down the field. You can't be like the slowest tight end in the league, probably like a Coquif or something like that. But if you're going to win downfield in the NFL, as long as your speed is adequate, like you have to know where the holes are in the zone. Cause you're not like, beating guys in man coverage down the field most of the time anyway as a tight end. Like most of the time you're beating a zone look, you're getting to a spot early, you're figuring out where to break your route off or you're making a contested catch over the seam. Like that's that's what you're doing. Like you're making a back shoulder. The ball skills are way more important. Knowing where to be is way more important, all those things. And so he just knows where to be right now. And so his development has been kind of nice. Like I really was pretty pissed at him early in the season, I think. And I, I think he's become like a pretty decent player. Like he's not going to be probably any star or anything like that. I mean, he's become a pretty decent player for them. And um, I think obviously a guy that's important and he'll be a part of the tight end room here for the future, I think too, um, at least obviously in this first contract. So the fact that he's not been a total dud and he's actually blocked a little better. And you he mentioned has, him. yeah. Good blocking that was- game. That was the thing that was most exciting to me. I mean, he had a great receiving game, um, what, two catches, 44 yards, but it was what he, and he was open a lot more than that, but that just is kind of like the MO for the entire, all of the receiving options were just open more than their catches. There's just only one ball to go around on any play. Um, But he had a really, really solid game from a blocking standpoint, um, which if that development all of a sudden becomes like the norm for him, his ceiling changes because I've been pretty consistent saying he's an NFL tight end, but I think he's more of like a move tight end, like at number two, um, which in this offense is still can be a big part of the offense. If you get the right um, inline guy, but if this happens, I mean, then he's becomes a legitimate number one tight end in the NFL. I don't know if he's like top 10, probably not, but you know, somewhere in that middle range, good enough to, you know, help you run an offense. The other thing that's been an interesting development this year, and, and one of the, the skills that you were talking about last year, he had seven contested catch opportunities. He only caught one. This year, four of ten. So that's a that's a big improvement on a larger sample size. Um, so showing that he can be trusted, that his hands are are you know reliable, and that's what you want in your tight end. Yeah, for sure. I do. I agree with you completely on that. So developed into a nice player. And then lastly, Mike Evans, he was great in this game. And I know people are going to say, oh, he did six targets and it wasn't his most productive game on paper. He made 
big plays when they needed him to make them. Um, and his route running continues to be on display. And I tweeted out today, so Bucks fans and I, Bucks fans know I've been trumpeting this since he since I've covered the team basically. But I think he's one of the best route runners in the NFL, and he gets basically no credit for that. And his profile, people, I say, you know, the the knock on him, I think, was always and probably just people never watched before Brady and or saw him when he was way heavier in college, and they were like, you just can't separate. He's just going to make contested catches. He was such so good at that in college, and I think people just assumed that was him. He's not even the best contested catch guy on this team, uh, which is I've always been a funny part of it. Godwin has been a better contested catch guy than him for years, and I, I've you know kind of been one of the people saying that, I think. And then um, I just think if you watch Mike Evans' tape, his route running is just consistently top-notch. There was a play – uh, that he scored on where he has to take out the cover three corner and that let look like that's his job. They're running that divide concept. And so they stress the safety, the safety goes with uh, the post pattern. And then he basically has to figure out a way to, to beat that corner. And so he just presses right into his space and breaks the route off. Once he gets the corner on his heels, it's just, textbook route running and then he doesn't get too close to the safety he knows like that put it's just got to be a skinny like uh, in break into the middle of the field but you're not getting like any more toward the middle of the field. he just is a very nuanced player and that level of detail i mean even the play where he drew the flag like that was a huge third down play oh yeah and they, they love to run him on that slot fade because if you're going to try and play catch man against him you just can't like he's going to swim you and you he's going to get on top of you faster than you think he will and you have to grab him and he gets grabbed like six times a season on that concept and they get a call out of it because nobody can stop him when they run that slot. He wasn't even, I think he was outside, but they reduced split and they run him on the fade from the reduced play, even if he was number one on that play. Like they just know how to use him. And like, he's just, his skill set is just so devastating down the field because his physicality, his feet, everything. It's just, he's a, he's a very, like when you talk about a non-boring player to watch on tape, just all the time, because so much of what he does is vertical. It's not like there's no BS to his like production. Uh, yeah. I think he's one of the most slept on players in history. I know the drops drive people crazy, but he's just such a great player. So, so I have to ask, cause I don't think I've ever gotten your take on this and, I, and we don't need to go into a long nuanced conversation because we haven't even gotten to the defense yet, but um, all of famer. For you, oh, yes or it's no? Not even a, it's not. It's never been a question. Like, yeah, it's yeah, it's not a question. Like, I, he's a he's a complete lock. And I know Bucks fans just think because all their guys like don't make it, and you know they're always in the outskirts of these conversations that he won't make it. But the dude, the dude's production is completely insane. He's going to finish his career if he stays healthy in the top ten all time in receiving touchdowns. The thousand yards every single year. What is it? Ten years now? Is this ten? Yeah, ten. I mean, that's just, come on. That's absurd. Like, it's absurd. Well, so, and he doesn't look a bit worse than he used to. Like yeah, he, look, he looks thought better there was than the last, last year, maybe. Yeah, like, but it was just really because he was banged up. I think all year. Like he he's looked unbelievable this year, and you never yeah. know when that happens and injuries hit. But he's looked unbelievable. And and he's lost. He has legitimately lost like ten pounds from last year to this year. And he's yeah. he's he does look faster on tape, one hundred percent. So um, and just quicker, almost like the foot speeds better as well. Um, it, it's interesting, and I. I I want to make sure before Bucks fans come at me, I 1000% agree. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Um, but the interesting uh, counter argument is 1000 yards is technically an arbitrary number. And if you up the filter to like 1200 yards, he goes from like number two in 1000 yard seasons behind only Jerry Rice to like a middling dude with a bunch of guys who have never done that before. Now you have the context of, all the touchdowns and everything like that. But um, I just thought it was very interesting because I want to say three or four of his 1000 yard seasons, he got it within like 30 yards of, you know, of a thousand. Right. So he was just barely there. And I want to say 
One of those was once they hit the 17 game season and he needed the 17th game. So I just, I worry about that. It is a cool stat, but if that's the calling card, like that's a little worrisome. Um, but, but it's yeah, not I, the only thing. That's the thing. He has a ring. He has Pro Bowls. He has, uh, you know, he like he's going to finish easily in the top 20 all time and receiving yards. Like right. there's, there's way more to it than just that, I think, is like where I would kind of start. If four Pro Bowls is a great start. You know, the all pro thing people will talk about, you know, well, I get it, but like hardly anybody gets all pro. Like that's just how the team is. And like, so it's really difficult to get that. I just think, yeah, I mean, this season he's, he should make the Pro Bowl. I, I hope that he does and we'll see. Yep. I mean, I think the touchdowns will definitely help. Also, yeah, just how often he scored. Like I said, he's gonna be he's gonna finish his career top twenty in receiving yards if he stays if he stays healthy. I mean, he could finish there next year. He, he's gonna be close, and he's gonna finish in his career in the top ten in receiving touchdowns uh, all time. Like he, he's gonna be more yards than yeah. He's he's gonna be in. Like he, he's gonna be in. Like especially if he stays healthy. But no, I think there's no question now. If he, I think if he retired after this year, he'd be in. Fair enough. Um, okay. Defense. Yes, we probably should at some point here. Uh, Devin White uh, quit on his team. Let's just call it what it is, since Todd Bowles won't. Uh, Devin White absolutely quit on his team. Uh, he is the only dude in that locker room—a locker room of unbelievable people. I mean, what what locker room's better in the league than the Bucks? Like from a personality standpoint, from a teammate standpoint, Levante David, Vita Vea, Shaq Barrett. Antoine Winfield. Like, are you kidding me? These guys are like a Tristan Wirfs. Like, it's all American people everywhere. Ryan Jensen's still there on the team. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Mike Evans Baker yep. Mayfield people would die for. Rashad White's awesome. Like, everybody loves him. He's blowing everybody up all the time, like gassing people up. And, like, it's just a locker room full of incredible people and yep. full of incredible dudes who only care about the team and will do anything it takes for the team. And for some reason, because probably because they're too nice, they've allowed Devin White to be a captain on this team, a dude who only cares about himself. They've allowed him to be a captain on this team for years, and they've allowed him to be in this position, despite the fact that he screws up basic assignments every week. His tape is trash, and the, the, the players have to bear some responsibility for it because I know they vote on those things. Bulls has to bear a ton of responsibility for it, and now it's embarrassing, the fact that Bulls just won't come out and say, yeah, we were going to play KJ Britt over him because KJ Britt's better than him at football. Like, period, full stop. And that's what we're going to do. And, like, he couldn't take it, so he said, no, he wanted to be inactive. Like, you don't need to protect him. Like, he needs to own this thing. If he's ever going to grow up, he's got to stop being coddled by the organization the way that he has been. He cares about himself. He cares about his own production and his own pay after this. And that's his prerogative to care about those things. But it's the team's prerogative to do what's best for the team and to communicate that when the opportunity comes where they need to communicate it. Unfortunately, Bowles, by trying to cover for him, has brought this investigation onto the team, whether there was this injury or not, which everybody knows is BS. Like, and it has nothing to do with his injury. It has everything to do with the fact that this is who Devin White is, and this is who he has always been, by the way. All the other stuff is fronting, and it's always been from Devin White. It's always been front. When things are good, he's like, can't believe I ever, ever wanted to leave this team. Love playing with this defense. And when things are bad, this is who he is. Like, so, yeah, you can miss me with any other explanation for this. He got benched because he's worse at football than a fifth-round draft pick. And that's just the way that it is. I think that's a great summation. And since you hit it from the Devin White side, I'll hit it from the Bulls side. He obviously screwed up in terms of the explanation. I think he screwed this up from jump. Because based on the reporting we've heard, 
he notified Devin on Sunday. Now they're saying that Bowles has said in his press conference that it, the conversation was on Friday, the conversation was on Saturday, somewhere in there. I don't believe that. He told he told Devin on Sunday. And then Devin immediately his reaction was, uh, well, my foot, I can't go like deactivate me. I'm not going to be a part of a rotation, right? I'm not going to to be subbed in. <clears throat> and I think that Dev that knowing that Devin is a young man who seems to be impulsive, you've got to give somebody like that, if you're a coach who understands your team, you've got to give him some time. And I think that he should have notified uh, Devin a couple of days prior to allow him to absorb that information, to process it, and you might have gotten a better reaction. You might have had an active Devin White on Sunday. So I think Bowles mismanaged the situation from jump. I think he mismanaged the press conference following um, in terms of you know what happened when and, and what information he was given the media. So I don't think either party handled this very well. Actually, if you want to say that he mismanaged this from jump, he should have told Devin that he wasn't starting three years ago. Three years ago. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I knew where you were going with that. <laughs> I stole your thunder. I'm sorry. You no worries. so long. I no doubted worries. whether I was right and if you were going to say it. And I was like, I got to say it. Cause I don't know if he's going to say it because you paused so long, but I said, I ruined it. I was, I was trying to build up some tension for the listener. <laughs> you had a so. very straight face. You fooled me. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I think I, so I think you did a great job kind of coming at it from the Devon side. I, I wanted to take the approach of, I think Bowles has mismanaged this overall. And then the last thing that I'll say about it, and I put this out on Twitter, and I really want to say it out loud, is I hope Devin White's foot's okay. Hey, I don't see any of the tweets, so uh, well, if he if he tweets about his foot, you're gonna have to let me know because your boy been blocked for years. You're gonna get there too, the way you're going. Uh, probably. Oh, he did put something out today. Did you see it? I, I saw people screenshotting his Instagram. Okay, all right. yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah. understand what he was saying, nor do I care to try to understand whatever so, he's saying. Like yeah, that. so, I mean, I'll, I'll give it to you, even though you don't care. Uh, <laughs> for the for the listener who maybe didn't see it, he uh, basically had, he, he screenshot something from like four or five months ago, but then put a tag under it that just basically said, they tried to create a story, but didn't ask the main character. So basically, he's refuting that he was benched. And because of the benching, he said he couldn't go. And he said nobody asked him. The problem is... Where is he? Huh? Well, the problem is Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times and Greg Allman of Fox Sports and probably a bunch of other media members all reached out to his agent and to the team to say, can we get a comment from Devin about this? And uh, the team didn't get back to him and the agent didn't get back to him. So if you want the main character to be able to comment on said story, it would be nice if the main character was willing to comment on said story. Yes. Also, I agree with you about the Bulls point. Um, to me, it goes back to another issue with Bulls. I think he's just cowardly. Like, and I don't think he wants to face a player and say, this is what we're doing. Like, and like, sorry, like it's tough because I have a relationship with you have a relationship with the player. You invested a lot in him, you know, in some ways you invested more in him. I mean, kind of like you as your captain, like all these kind of things. 
but you've also made a huge mistake and you have to admit that. And then you, you know, you know how Devin White's going to respond, which is another part of it. And you don't want it. So I think he puts things like that off and he delays decisions like that. And he makes half decisions like, Oh, it'll be a rotation. It'll be fine. Like, no, you got to be bold as head coach. And you got to say what's best for the team is the KJ Britt who is better at football than you plays for this team. And like, that's just all there's to it. And like, I give Indy a lot of credit, although the Darius Leonard thing, you know, obviously he fell off and, or Shaq Leonard, excuse me. Um, and obviously he fell off and everything, but they were like, we're just going to play EJ speed and we're going to play Zaire Franklin and they're just better football than you. And I'm sorry that like it, you know, he was pounding the media every single week and they finally traded him and, and, or caught him. And, and so it was, you know, it was tough, but like, that's what you have to do. Like, those are the tough decisions you have to make. And there's no question watching him run around. Like he had no idea what he was doing on a football field last night <laughs> against, the, against uh, Seattle. It was like, yeah, they made the right decision. Like those speed and Franklin are awesome. And they made what they did, what they had to do. And that's, I think bulls just like is, was afraid to do that. And so it led to a, a bigger issue than there should be. Yeah. And there's evidence to support your, your claim there beyond just, just Devin there. Um, if you look at, any of the starters that Bowles has benched over the last couple of years, it hasn't been an outright benching. It's always been after that individual got hurt, ended up spending time off, you know, out of the lineup, somebody else came in and then there was this overwhelming support and, and outrage from fans and media about like, why would you ever put this other person back in? So um, specific examples being Luke Gedeke last year at left guard, you know, there was evidence to support that yeah. maybe get a key, especially in Tom Brady's last year, that you you probably want to give somebody, anybody else a try because he was the worst guard in football. And they waited until, you know, he was he got hurt. And I want to say uh, uh, Leverett came in and played a game in his stead. And then when he came back, they tried to do a rotation and then eventually Leverett just took it. This year with uh, Ryan Neal, uh, it was giving playing time after he had gotten hurt a few different times. So it's almost like Bowles isn't willing to just straight up say, I know you're available. I'm going with somebody else. He has to have kind of this guise of, well, guys hurt. I'm going to go with somebody else and then transition that into a full-time change. The prime example of this is Jason Pierre-Paul. One hand, like not, not the normal one hand, but I mean the one hand that he had when he had the club right. on and uh, sorry, that was, that was me. Um, <laughs> but Bulls but refused to take him out of the lineup and he couldn't play ball. Like he was, he was atrocious. He right. couldn't play ball. Like he was the worst player on the team every single week, but he couldn't play. And Bulls wouldn't take him out because Jason Pierre Paul was like, no, I can still play. I want to play. He's this big personality. He's loud. He's gregarious, all these things. He's a quote unquote leader. He couldn't do his job. Like he couldn't do anything on a football field. Joe Trinko was clearly better. And Bulls would not stop playing Jason Beer Paul. And was, that's the prime example of it. It's like this guy just he will not do the tough things that are best for the team because he is afraid of, of that backlash. And same thing with Sean Murphy Bunting, right? Like another player who was clearly Jamel Dean was better. He wouldn't bench Sean Murphy Bunting because Sean Murphy Bunting, another one. Everybody loves him. Big personality, loud, gregarious. So it's all these things. And like I you don't want to say bullies, they bully Todd Bulls, but like it's you know, they just he just is a he he is afraid is probably wrong. It's not like afraid and like the sense of, Oh, what if they beat me up? But it's just like, those are bold decisions a coach has to make when vocal guys in your locker room, leaders, communicators, like guys like that need to be sat down. And he has been unwilling to make those or make them the way that he should make them. This took an injury for this to happen. Like this isn't like he's backing into it now half-heartedly because of an injury. It's, it's just not what a, a leader and a head coach needs to do yeah. in these situations. So from a decision-making process, just in my my careers, 
Um, you find people are either they make decisions with the upside as their driving uh, mm -hmm. determiner or as the downside. And Todd Bowles, I think, is clear. And you can see it in his in-game management. He makes decisions based on the possible downside. And he tries to mitigate risk that way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk about a good player who's good at football, KJ Britt. Um, he's awesome. Like, I mean, obviously within his limitations of what he is for sure as a player, but just super aggressive to play the run. Like he fits fast and very physical, polar opposite of Devin when it comes to playing the run. Like just very quick to trigger. He sees it, he goes, he'll hit anything that moves. He's very physical. I don't think he's missed a tackle That's since he's question. gone in. I mean, he uh, maybe one. Space, he's gonna have his limitations eventually, but yeah, I think I remember one. He missed one against Indy, but he played two snaps in that game. I don't recall. I don't recall that missed tackle. But anyway, since he's been in there, in there, like the last two weeks, he's not missed a tackle. Um, and he's graded very high for PFF, and he's graded very high in my eyeballs watching him play. He's just been very, very good. Uh, what they asked him to do. Is there going to come a point where in coverage people are going to figure out what he's about? Yeah, but I think he looks leaner. I think he looks quicker than he's had before. Now we've barely seen him play over the course of his career. He's not really played defense at all um, over the course of his career, but definitely leaner than he was when he came in the league. I think for sure he was kind of billed as this thumper, and um, I think he's looked really good. Like I'm very encouraged, and I obviously need to see a larger sample size, and I, I do think there's going to be issues in coverage, but overall, like just when you talk about like what's what's working in the NFL linebacker today. I was talking to you about this off air a little bit. All these teams want to draft all these athletes to go and play linebacker the last couple of years. And it's just flamed out across the league. Like it's just been so bad for the most part. They have not been able to develop athletes into playing linebacker because it's such a mental position. And so they've gone back to the TJ Edwards types of players, like all over the league. And, you know, they're, they're kind of running back to a lot of those players and there's limitations and those guys are going to get beat. And it's probably like the number one thing defenses can't figure out right now is like, how do we keep our linebackers from being killed? Cause like there's, you know, there's just so many ways to attack linebackers in coverage. Um, and it's, it's such a, it's just a hard, it's, it's, it's the weak link of defenses. Like teams all need to attack those. And obviously the teams that have the Fred Warners uh, do pretty well, but um, that is like one of the big mysteries right now, but just raising the floor of the position again, instead of being terrible against the run and terrible against some of these short pass concepts and things like that. Like what's the, can we raise the floor at least? Maybe these guys get you know beat over their heads because they're not deep enough in their zone or can't carry the seam, but we're not going to get torched in every facet of linebacker play just because we want to play athletes. And so, Britt may be in vogue again, where when he was drafted, he was kind of out of out of um, his his prototype was was really not in favor. And now I think he's there may be more value to his type of player again. Yeah, it, it's been refreshing to just watch somebody who's not afraid to come downhill like that, like that. I know that's not like this nuanced analysis, but he seems to enjoy playing the position of linebacker, which I wouldn't <laughs> say Devin Devin White did because. The things that you ask a linebacker to do, that floor that you were talking about, like fill a gap, understand that you are going to have to take on a puller and your job is to blow up the puller because it's going to reroute the run or allow somebody else to get freed up to make the play. Like um, all of that, KJ Britt seems to welcome and enjoy. And then when you put on that, the thing that surprised me the most from these past couple of games is while he does have his athletic limitations, I and uh, to your point, very small sample size, 
he seems fairly instinctual in space. Uh, there were a couple different, you know, uh, pass plays that, that Green Bay had where KJ got to the right spot in time to limit the damage or to outright just make the play. Um, late on their the Packers' last drive when they were trying to, to bring it within a score, uh, I want to say on a third down, they ran um, like just a quick out from the inline tight end, and KJ had inside le- leverage on it. Tight end thought he was going to get a, you know, kind of a uh, out of, I think it was Tucker Craft, uh, kind of get out of his break quickly and probably create some separation. KJ broke and got underneath the route and was able to break up the pass. Um, there was another one where he didn't bite on play action um, out of shotgun. There were two shallow crosses coming to from his right to left, and he recognized the routes, got into the spot. Uh, the catch was made, but it was, I want to say for like a three or four yard gain. If a play action concept's only getting three or four yards as a defense, you take that every time. And um, so it was just, it was really refreshing to see because those are the two things Devin White doesn't do really well. He doesn't come downhill. He doesn't play the run very hard and he doesn't work well in space against, you know, in, in coverage. So he's doing all the things that, that White doesn't do. And oh, by the way, you know, it's again, very small sample size, but for his career, on pass rush snaps, he's got a 19% pressure rate. You can yep. hang with that. He uh, came in on a play. He was kind of add, add on as the running back stayed in, just ran right through Kenyon Drake. Like he wasn't even there, just said, get get out of my way. <laughs> and I, I mean, technically they gave the sack to somebody else, I think, but he was like, he created the sack, like for sure. Like he may have fallen off the tackle, right? His other guys grabbed him, but grabbed Jordan Love. But yeah, it was uh like he's there's no hesitation to his game. He's very physical. He's but he's smart. He's not reckless either. And so I'm very intrigued. I'm excited. That's something to be excited about defensively. Um, I didn't watch the whole defensive tape, so I just had a couple quick thoughts, then we can get out of here. I don't want to talk unless you have thoughts on the secondary. Like, I don't I think we need to go there. We we've kind of talked at length about the coverages and the issues, and the players aren't in best position to succeed. This was more of that, I felt like, in this game. But I thought the first drive of the game, Green Bay looked like they were going to kill the Bucks oh. on the ground. You wondered first if Vea was going to play. I think he played like one snap on the first drive of the game or something like that. He, he yeah. barely played in the first drive of the game. And they got pounded against the run all the way down to the goal line situation. Logan Dan on the Hall, goal line. Buddy. Yeah, I mean, Logan Hall got – like there were a couple reps that are like, this guy shouldn't be playing in the NFL, which was, was kind of the thing last year, right? But the difference this year is Logan Hall can rebound. And he made two right. nice plays down by the goal line. The third down – he broke through, made the stop, and then obviously they threw incomplete on fourth down. Then next, after the Baker fumble, there's a first play, and then they score, obviously. But um, the first run, first down run when they got the ball after the Baker fumble, he broke through again and, and made the play. Now that play, he was getting double teamed, and he's up on one leg, and I'm like, this guy's cooked. But the difference was where Devin White would still be sitting back on his heels down downfield, like wondering, wow, look at this guy get wrecked in front of me. KJ Britt was like, here's my opportunity. They're both doubling him. I'm shooting the gap. He fired in there. Zach Tom, the right tackle for the Packers, had to come off the double team of Logan Hall to pick up Britt. So Britt disrupted the whole thing. He blew it all up. Thomas is coming to get a piece of Britt to drive him out of the way. Now Logan Hall is one-on-one with the tight end. He sheds that block, gets in the backfield, disrupts things. I think Levante David was cleaned it up. I forget who it was that cleaned up the – it was the David, yeah, that cleaned it up for a tackle for loss. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Like That's players making each other better. 
because Britt saw like down the goal and my I'm firing into that gap. If they're going to double team him and think they can climb to me and catch me at the second level, no, miss me with that. So he was, he was just going. Um, and I think that made all the difference in the world having that. So then it left Hall in a situation where he could win. And so those kind of things like Logan Hall to his credit too, like he's, he stayed battling. Like he gets a lot of what he gets just by sheer effort, heart and determination right now, because he is overmatched physically and he was put on the ground a few times and that's, might be the story of his career. Like he might be a Jerry Tillery type player, but where Tillery's had some attitude things, I think in the past, I think for Hall, what he can do is like, he, he really seems like he competes at a high level. And so he'll have his fair chance chances, get into the backfield and make plays too. Like, so it's it might be extremely boom or bust, but if he can just hit some booms, like at times it might, might, might work out where he could be like a part-time player in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. And, and to that point, he he had the initial pressure the very last defensive play of the game right which was jordan love gets sacked on fourth and ten um he ends up fumbling and, and hall ends up falling on the ball he ends up uh, getting the the fumble recovery you go back to the beginning of that play and it's through all of the the issues that he had early he's the guy who had the initial pressure i mean he walked um Josh Myers, I want to say, is the center for Green Bay. He walked Myers back, and he gets the initial – he puts Myers into Jordan Love's grill. And then Love has to start to move around, and that's when Levante – and because he displaced Myers, now the the alignment of the entire offensive line is off, and that allows Levante to piece through because Mm -hmm. now there are creases for him to get, and he's the one who gets after Love forces love out of the pocket. Then Shaq Barrett gets involved and the two of them bring him down and cause the fumble. So, but all of that was started by the pressure that Logan Hall was able to create initially. Um, So, and you see that effort, like, again, this is so interesting because the whole team you see, no matter what the issue is with them individually, they continue to like work hard to overcome or to just stay at it because JTS was benched recently. Right. He was Yaya is now the starter. JTS is getting, I want to say, like the least amount of snaps in that room. 18 snaps in this game. Yeah. But you don't see that's a season low. Yeah. But you don't see it on his tape in terms of like, well, I'm just a backup now. Like you don't see any no reduction in his effort level. Right. You don't see it really from any player on this team, save one. Um <laughs> right. and, and sometimes Jamel Dean when he didn't sleep well or something. <laughs> I don't know. He strikes uh, me as the kind of guy. This is probably unfair, but it's just like plays video games till three, and he's like, "Oh shoot, we have a game tomorrow." Like, I can see him as that guy. <laughs> I mean, he's hundred percent that guy, right? Like, we're not even saying we know him. Like, we've talked to him in the locker room. Like, he's he's the kind of guy that's like, yeah, he's got that kind of energy to him where he's like, "Wait a minute, who's our coaching staff again?" Like. <laughs> Wait, I, where's Bruce Arians? I empathize because I'm that guy too. I will I'll be like, oh shit, it's 4 30. I gotta be up at 5 15. I can pound out 20 minutes of sleep. I got this. Mm-hmm. Um so there so that was one of the things I think uh from a pass rush standpoint, watching live, watching the all 22 coming back on it, I think the pass rush was a little bit better than what I thought live, but only from the interior. I think Vea created he moved he he moved the pocket a bunch. He, he was constantly getting vertical displacement, pushing guys back into love's face. I think Canty he, got a few. And he only well. played 28 snaps. 
Yeah, but they, I would say they were impactful. And while he, I don't think PFF credited him with like any technical pressures, he absolutely got love off of his spot. I would say 60, 70% of the time. I think Cansey aided that. Um, he had a few where he won. I don't think it was his absolute best game as a pass rusher. I think there was more evidence that he is absolutely playable in run defense, um, beating double teams. You know, uh, getting using his leverage, not getting moved. So PFF uh, thinks he's atrocious against I, the run. Oh, I, I, all the Bucks D tackles, in fact, they're all atrocious against the run, which is wild considering they are the best run defense in the league. It, it they're me, like in that conversation anyway. So you know, well, anyway. you know what it is is Devin White kept making them all right. Yeah, now that he's I'm pouring it, on now. Pouring on. <laughs> <laughs> so. And then the the other thing I just want to mention because it's going to be a small victory lap for me. The Bucks got burned on post wheel again. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Todd Bowles has decided he does not want to fix that, even though scrubs like me in the media are pointing it out to him. So I actually haven't gotten to the play yet in the All Twenty Two, so I I am excited to get to it and yeah. see see yeah, if it's yeah. is it the same. Like, is there any differences that were not? Um, I think the wheel develops a little bit later. Um, yeah, it's so like an out and up, isn't it? Basically, yeah. Which technically, like, um, the pits one was an out and up too. It's just a real short out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's the same concept. It's we're gonna run an an in breaker from one, and that's gonna dis with a delayed um, wheel or or fade or out and up. Yeah, yeah I behind see behind the corner because we know he's gonna follow the in breaker, and so. Yeah. I, Indeed, Delaney about lost his mind after the play. Like he is, he's literally like giving Jamel Dean a piece of his mind. He can't afford to lose. Well, he read my article. That's what it was. <laughs> the, this is what's funny is because he, I know he's not screaming at Levante like that. Let's just be clear. Levante so, did try and run with it. He did try and run with it, but Delaney is basically. I wonder if what, at what point he started screaming at Jamel Dean to not go not take this it's not really a post this verdict yeah he he knows it's look he points too like even as the ball is coming in he's standing next to dean and he's pointing at the receiver and he's like that's your guy <laughs> which i'm sure he got to the sideline and todd told him no levante's well, gotta run i don't know <laughs> i don't think so on this because of the way that this route develops being different like the fact that it is such a delayed wheel like dean needs to have eyes to that area of the field basically like he can't right. be following this He's, I mean, he's literally got his back turned. He's not even looking in his, in his cover. He's totally looking at the receiver. Like he's not even looking. And so, yeah, that, and that's the thing I get what Bulls is saying, but like, they literally never play it that way. And also like, this is a hundred percent on Dean. Like every player in the field knows it is like, so I don't know. Anyway, the whole Bulls thing is just hilarious part of this because like, it's never happened on tape the way that he wants it to like. It's just it's so funny. Uh, and then the last thing I will say in the in the fourth quarter, I thought the defense played fairly well. There was one big play that they really they allowed that they shouldn't have. And actually, it was Winfield who missed a tackle along the sideline. I want to say on Dontavian Wicks, Wicks was able to get upfield. But for the situation they were in, uh, up two scores with like six and a half minutes left in the game. You you are going to allow the underneath stuff. I thought they played it pretty well. They got pressure from the interior guys. Um, they couldn't keep contain on Love very well, but 
even as he tried to create out of structure, I thought the defense did a pretty good job of maintaining their coverages and staying sound to their coverages. Um, but I do think that Green Bay gifted the defense overall because I think Jordan Love played a pretty poor game from where he had been over the last uh, six, seven weeks. He was very inaccurate with his ball placement. There was more than a couple of uh, plays where if he comes off his first read, which really isn't there, like there's a there's deep digs behind them that are wide open that he could have hit and he just didn't see them. Um, so I think that the Bucks lucked out by getting a bad Jordan Love game. For sure. I mean, I don't know if they lucked out. I, I'm not convinced Jordan Love's good like everybody else in the world seems to be. <laughs> Last two games, he, he's all over the place for sure, but accuracy issues like he has, and even like you look at the numbers, BFF, like it's just – He's just not been a very accurate player. And so like a quarterback. So to me, that's still probably a concern no matter what, but we'll see. Um, That was an issue in this game. The ball placement was just not very good. And he completed a lot of them, but it was just, he wasn't leading guys and he acted the way he should have been. And then some of the misses that he did have, I mean, obviously the one at the goal line was a big one. They ended up getting that touchdown back. So I don't know how much impacted there, out of the game, but. There was another one uh, early in the game, third and six. The pack was down, I want to say. 10-7. Um, they were down in Tampa Bay's area and he ends up hitting Aaron Jones in the flat and Jones only gets like four yards. I want to say Britt was on him, but Jones had Britt cooked uh, and that's where the athleticism issues come in. Um, Love just saw it a click too late because by the time he got the ball to Jones and he tried to turn up field, he ended up going out of bounds. He gets him to him split second faster He's getting vertical inbounds, and that's going to be a first down and probably lead to a touchdown the way the Bucks defense was playing early. So just some lucky breaks, um, you know, and that happens in football. So, but like I said, in the fourth quarter, I think that they they played uh, measurably better and uh, well enough to finish out the game. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, very, very um, exciting, I think, direction just in general for the Bucs um, in a lot of ways. Uh, this season, we'll see what kind of ceiling it, it reveals for them. But, I mean, right now, I think you just have to be really excited about the fact that they're playing better at the right time. And we'll see what it leads to, you know, obviously the next couple games. I think that there are reasons to be excited about the team and reasons to be pretty skeptical that, like, this kind of performance is – didn't necessarily happen every single week, but uh, I definitely think the offense is trending in the right direction. Whatever that means on the scoreboard, uh, we shall see. Um, but uh, defensively, lots of concerns still. We'll see what happens as they face. They, will they face better? I mean, if you're Trevor Lawrence get, does play. Yeah, you're going to get uh, Jacksonville without Christian Kirk and Trevor Lawrence. And funny enough, Christian Kirk may be their best wide receiver. Um, you're yeah. going to get. I think uh, what's that? I think he is, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. uh, Calvin Ridley hasn't turned out to be what everybody thought he was. He's uh, good, but, but yeah, I mean, Kirk's yeah. better, I think, Brian. Yeah. Then you get a New Orleans team that could be could be good, could be bad, depending on the day. Like, the offense is, I think they're averaging like 25 points a game over the last three or four games, so maybe they've figured something out. Um, and then you get a bad Carolina offense with a good Carolina defense, so it'll yep. be interesting. Should be fun. Well, this podcast is uh, definitely gone on long enough. <laughs> Hopefully people enjoyed it. Uh, if you enjoy it, uh, definitely let people know about the pod and other Bucks fans where they can find the good content. And uh, we promise we'll keep doing this. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, so we'll keep it up. So thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of Audibles and Analytics.